Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Stacy Wedding, and we're here to answer all of your nonprofit questions. So the way this works is you send us questions. You can send them to the Nonprofit Everything webpage, which, by the way, has the show notes on it. You can tweet them at us. You can go to our Facebook page and post them there. You can just send them to us any way you know how. We've also got a phone number. Uh, you can go old school and leave us a voicemail, 702-900-4656. Again, 702-900-4656. Just go ahead and send us those questions because that's the way the podcast works. If we don't have any questions, we we talk about our pets and nobody wants that. So this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Go ahead and check the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits out. They've always got cool stuff going on. If you're a member, thank you. We appreciate you. If you're not a member, go see what, what they're doing. I think you might be surprised. A membership is very inexpensive and there's lots of really cool stuff. And with that, we're going to get right to it. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're excited. We've got a special guest expert, Nick Lynch from Kaleidoscope. Nick, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, Nick? Yeah, for sure. So from a a professional standpoint, I've been, I'm here based here in LA. I've been in the advertising um, digital media and advertising technology space for almost 16 years now. Wow. Um, you could tell by my gray hair if you saw it in my beard, but I've been doing it for a long time. Um, just to date myself even further, I was an early MySpace guy. If people know who that is or what that is. Um, and so I pretty much lived my entire professional career building solutions for brands and advertisers to better target their audiences on digital and social media. Um, but from a personal standpoint, uh, I'm a Make-A-Wish kid. They sent me to Disneyland when I was three. I'm a cancer survivor. And I've been, a you know, obviously a part of the, the Make-A-Wish family ever since they sent me to Disneyland, but I've been a big supporter uh, and an advocate for nonprofits in general. I'm on the advisory council and the Young Professionals Council here in Los Angeles for Make-A-Wish, and I've helped many other nonprofits pretty much throughout my entire life, um, however I possibly can. And so, um, you know, deeply passionate about, you know, how I, you know, using my sort of time, talent, and treasure help however I can and sort of the I, I sit in an interesting space because I uh, I've been the recipient of a nonprofit mission I've seen operationally how nonprofits work and the challenges that nonprofits face um, but the opportunity given the right tools and technology and then on the brand side you know really over the last three to four years there's been a tremendous shift in how brands are looking to spend their dollars from a marketing perspective and making sure that they're aligned with social causes and so all that said, you know, that's really the genesis of um, Kaleidoscope, which I, I co-founded on the CEO of, um, of we co-founded at the beginning of COVID right around the end of March uh, and have built a solution that helps brands, <clears throat> nonprofits and social media influencers to better identify areas of vision and value um, alignment. And then once those partnerships are identified, discovered, and secured. We help support those collaborations on social and digital media. And then most importantly, we provide measurement, uh, both marketing and mission measurement um, to those campaigns so that brands can really see the true value, the true ROI that they're getting 
um, from a marketing perspective, but then also uh, measuring downstream uh, you know, activity in terms of did that marketing actually drive donations or registrations or volunteers or whatever the case may be for the nonprofits and really giving everybody a holistic view of how um, the collaboration was uh, effective. That's fascinating. And I love it. And I, I think I feel like from the nonprofits perspective side, what we see all the time. So we, we feel like we're so far behind the curve with new technology kinds of things. So so you mentioned influencers and streamers and brands. Tell For those those folks that are listening that have no idea what that is or what that means, maybe you could give us a little history of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, really ever since the beginning of Facebook, you know, there has been this idea of what a social media influencer is, and it's only grown in scale over the last, I don't know, probably eight to 10 years. And so we kind of laugh internally is that everybody is an influencer in their own right, right? I mean, you know, I might have a very small following, but it might be my aunts, my cousins, and my my parents, and I may recommend a book and then I have influence over them because they'll, you know, um, you go ask me about the book or read it. But in, in, in a larger scale, you have <clears throat> these large influencers or influential people that have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers on social media and they have a platform or they have built a platform that enables them to truly uh, influence certain sectors. It could be um, <clears throat> they may be knowledgeable or a key opinion leader in uh, beauty or hair. And so people will go to them to watch what latest makeup products or hairstyles that they um, focus on or, or, you know, for example, video games and, and streamers. So that's another segment where um, this concept of, of electronic sports or esports. Um, where people actually will be playing for hours on end um, a specific video game and people can actually tune in and watch and engage and chat with the, that streamer. Um, and so the, the concept and, and the new medium, they're calling it Web 3.0, but this new medium and this new opportunity to um, really communicate to a huge and diverse audience on social media through um, these influencers and streamers is really becoming uh, a key opportunity for obviously not only for brands, but for nonprofits as well. So, so how did nonprofits, you know, to, to me, I, you know, you see the video game streamers that make sense. And then like folks that do things on YouTube around some particular activity, whether it's music or beauty or something like that, where, where would a nonprofit like even begin to, to figure out who to talk to, um, or like how to even like be involved in this kind of ecosystem at all? Like what, what would the entry point be? Yeah, for sure. So to provide just some context <clears throat> of the whole entire space, I mean, the, the streaming community really came through um, at the beginning and during COVID um, for many nonprofits. Uh, they, I read an article, and I'm happy to share it in, in the notes here, but um, something like $90 million was raised for nonprofits through uh, esports and streamers last year. Um, <clears throat> and part of that was driven, and most of it actually was just driven by people who have an audience that wanted to raise money for good causes. Um, and so now what we're seeing is we kind of look past the pandemic of how to, you know, leverage these types of opportunities. It's really less about trying to find these big celebrities and these big stars and these big influencers who have millions and millions of followers um, who will do <clears throat> a campaign for you, which if you can get it, fantastic, it's great. But it's really much more about finding, uh, and I would say this has probably had been the case for nonprofits since the, the beginning of existence, is really finding communities that have alignment and that can, that really are either roughly closely or directly related to the cause. So for example, you know, we work a lot with the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And so, um, you know, their, their influencer strategy is really focused on finding 
uh, you know, niche influencers that have been affected by adoption in some way. So they may be adoptive parents, they may be adoptees, and they were adopted when they were a kid, or they were part of the foster system growing up, right? And so it's really about less about just trying to find the biggest and the, the largest and the loudest influencer and really thinking about what type of community that you want to find um, online, right? Again, before social media, it was finding community locally for most nonprofits that were aligned with your vision and your values and your cause and, and uh, you know, aligning them and orchestrating consistently that community to, to activate and to work for you. And it's essentially the same principle, but on social media is just really, you know, figure out some keywords or some, some phrases that, that resonate for your cause or, or for your mission and start doing some searches on social media and online and, and find people who are talking about it. Maybe it's in their description or in their bio um, and really start to like think through how that, that, that type of process to start identifying people that you could bring into your digital community. That's interesting. And I'd love to hear what you think, like how you think this is changing because the the sort of conventional wisdom for most nonprofits is like all all nonprofit funder relationships seem to be local unless you are already a, a national, like somebody like Make-A-Wish, right? So Make-A-Wish is a, a national brand they've got, but then they have chapters that are individually managed. They've got their individual boards of directors. They might share resources among each other, but they, they really do all their fundraising and all their sort of community outreach is local to that individual. Is this something that you're seeing changing where where a local nonprofit, you know, somebody who just serves, for example, Southern Nevada is um, is talking to somebody who's really talking to like the world. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's definitely changing in, in each each organization will have different policies or, or um, you know, sort of procedures that they'll, that they'll follow because for sure, you know, one chapter doesn't want to approach on the other. And right. for the most part, they still want to focus mostly on locally, but you're right. I mean, everybody now technically has a platform that the, the, the whole world can see. And so what it's evolving over time, but what we're starting to see, particularly like in Make-A-Wish, for example, is they very much have a, a very pro influencer, pro streamer, uh, very proactive team and, and, and strategy around that. But they've provided some guardrails around uh, making sure that the, the streamer is based in the city or, or the influencer is based in the city that, that the chapter is. And so that way you can have a little bit more of that, um, you know, consistency of, of, of sort of local parameters as opposed to, you know, trying to find, if I'm an, if I'm Make-A-Wish LA, finding a, a popular streamer in, you know, Pittsburgh and trying to, to work with them. It's much more around finding um, people that are influential and are, have a large platform on, on social media, but are typically based in, in the region that they're in. Yeah, that seems like kind of a, an additional sort of limiting factor when you're trying to find somebody that's going to work with you is like, how, what's their relationship to your community? If you're, if you're a more community-based organization, it's really interesting. It can be. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's cool though. Cause, cause there's also, I mean, there are influencers all over the world that want to be a participant in, in, in driving a mission. And even though the, the, the nonprofit might be based in the United States, you might find people in other countries, um, that are willing to support it just because there may be uh, there might not be an outlet in their country um, that they can support um, that cause or maybe that it has affected their family in some way and this is the only way that they can um, give back whether it's awareness or whether it's fundraising or whatever the case may be so you know it's it's helped to, and again to your point like there is definitely some constriction around um, the locality of it but it also has opened up broadly to to incent to to invite people from around the world who really just want to participate in in and good things. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so in in working with some, so I, I do a few things with like the World Economic Forum. And 
and it's interesting to talk to people that are in different countries, um, which is not, you know, not the United States. And in many cases, they're, they're so far behind in, in just the attitudes around particular things. There was a, 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 a guy that I met who was working in Palestine and they were working with down syndrome and the, the attitude in Palestine about pe- people with down syndrome was like 180 degrees opposite of the way we consider that here in the United States. And so having support organizations in the United States that are talking about it in a different way provides them tons of resources. So they've got, you know, they just basically look to the United States. It's like, like you guys have this figured out. We want to be where you are. Give us everything you can. And that's that sort of sharing of like working at, especially in, in like larger problems, like working on solutions that work in one place that then can be easily exported someplace else. So I can see where you know, there might be a, a really compelling case for, for like an international streamer to talk to somebody in the United States who's working on something really interesting. Yeah, 100%. I've, I've had people from Mexico and Canada, and I've talked to people from Singapore and all over Southeast Asia who have either participated or have wanted to participate in organizational charity streams that are based in the United States. We'll see how the, ge- you know, the geopolitical landscape changes over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But for, for now, at least, the United States is still very much looked at as the center of a lot of things. Um, and one of them obviously still is philanthropy, right? So in the United States, there's over you know 1.5 million nonprofits. It's the second, by quantity, it's the second largest market behind India, which has over 2 million. And so there, everybody wants to do good. Everybody now, if you, if you really look at um, social media as, I mean, it, they literally, it's a career now. People want to be social media influencers or content creators in, in Southeast Asia or Asia generally, they call influencers KOLs or key opinion leaders. And so it's very much a legitimate career choice for people to be a part of. And so <clears throat> that enables them to build their own platform. And as part of that platform, in, in order for them to diversify themselves away from being somebody who is on screen all the time and just does tutorials on makeup, it really actually benefits them to do these types of things. Obviously, not it's, it's also it's good for the soul, but also for really their career because it really helps showcase a different side of them that brands would be interested in um, and that other partners would be in. And it really helps them build authenticity and a connection with their community, which essentially is like the core part of being a successful social media influencer. So, you know, philanthropy and doing good, I believe, and again, I'm majorly biased, but believe it should be the core focus of how you build out your community, because that's one of the most easiest ways to connect with people who are your audience. Yeah, because also, I mean, that's, you can apply that exact same scenario to corporations too, because they're looking at the, looking at through the same lens where they're, they're trying to find something that makes their, their customers like trust them, their customers to be more loyal to that particular brand. And we've seen, you know, there's tons of research that says specifically that, which is if you have a philanthropic cause and you're, you're doing something meaningful for that cause and you're not, it's not just greenwashing it. You're not just phoning it in. If you're really doing it, that you know, your consumers become closer to you and less likely to switch brands. It's like a it's like a customer loyalty booster. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so it's a good transition into what we're seeing. And I'm super curious to get your information, like your perspective on this. It's like on the CSR side. I mean, I, I think what's interesting, and I think what nonprofits really need to focus in on when when moving forward and thinking about what 2022 and beyond looks like is that nonprofits kind of hold like the trump cards here, like the gold chips in terms of working with 
with brands because I, I, have, I have to find the stat, but I think it's like 91% of global customers and consumers demand that brands align themselves with some sort of positive. I mean, it's, yep. and my guess is it's probably pretty even closer to 100 now, right? So brands need to identify causes and missions that align with their customers and that aligns with their, their company values. And so nonprofits should be completely taking advantage of the fact that that's where brands are going and they need to go. But here's where Kaleidoscope comes in and where, where we believe that the, the, we're building the bridge that will enable all this. <clears throat> Is that, um, to your point a little earlier, nonprofits uh, you know, are 10, 15, 20 years behind in terms of sort of marketing in general, right? Um, and it's, I mean, again, most nonprofits would admit it, it's not their fault. They're amazing people doing amazing work and fully focused on the mission. So I, you know, they don't need to be marketing experts, right? Um, but we do need to start thinking about how we provide accessible tools and accessible education so that brand, uh, that nonprofits can understand a little bit more about what can be um, what can be done. And so, because that competency isn't quite there yet, or the tools aren't necessarily there yet, again, where Kaleidoscope comes in, brands are still very much in uh, of the opinion that I'm going to sponsor every year at 10, 15, maybe 20,000, $25,000. I'll get my logo on the website. I'll get my logo on the t-shirt. I'll get my logo, logo on an email and maybe a flyer and that's it. And so where we're helping sort of flip the conversation and where we're getting ownership back to the nonprofits is let's, let's make the brands feel like this is actually a marketing exercise for them. Like they actually can track the real ROI of what they are at, what they're doing. And so, if we can give the right tools to nonprofits so that they can report back to brands of, Hey, we're doing this execution or this activation uh, either in person or online. This is, this is not only the inventory that you're going to be able to, to sponsor, but also this is the level of reporting that you're going to get. So you can actually get real brand value out of this and communicate this brand value. And then the brands on the other side can now expect to get that and actually track the ROI. Um, that's where we feel the future is for both social impact marketing on the brand side, as well as partnerships and development on, on the nonprofit side. And so that's where we're really excited because uh, particularly in the streaming and the social media space, this is all only going to grow and it's all trackable. Uh, and so being able to pull all that data in and brands want to be a part of it too, right? So being able to pull all that in, present really transparent and, and tangible reporting back to brands and back to nonprofits is really where this thing can go way, way up. Yeah, that's and I think that's a huge point because there's this sort of, especially when working with corporations, there's common misperception on the nonprofit side that the reason the corporation is doing it is for just out of the goodness of their heart because they like your mission and they want to engage with you. And to some extent that's true, but almost all the time you're working with their marketing department or you're working with their public relations or core comm departments. And and they have very specific metrics and they have they have the language and it's not it's not incumbent on you as the nonprofit to necessarily know exactly what they want. So it's always important to say what do you guys want out of this relationship? Like here, we've got we've got this brand, we've got this fantastic thing we're doing for the community. We've built up all this goodwill. How can we how can we help you do something that you want with what we have? Like that common relationship, and not what we see. And I mean, I'm sure if you, Stacy and I are always going on about gala events and 
5k runs and all the just nonsense that nonprofits think they need to do where they'll they'll hand over like a sponsorship package and they say here's the sponsorship package it's like get your logo on the thing and the we'll put it on the side of the building and it's worth x number of dollars and all this advertising stuff and it's it's almost like they've the nonprofit shouldn't be telling the corporation or what they need they should be turn the conversation around and saying, we've got all this stuff. How can we help you get where you need to go? And I'm sure that's where you guys come in to be able to, you know, speak the language on both sides. Right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's what, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, that's exactly what we're focused on in, in really building that bridge so that everybody can see holistically uh, the opportunities and how things are, are scaling or how, how um, you know, the KPIs are, are trending to specific goals. Uh, I mean, like a good example would be uh, and what we're, st- we're starting to advise a lot of our, um, our, our, our corporate or our brand partners is really thinking about like what the tried and true, uh, you know, uh, partnerships that we've seen in the past. Right. So like the roundup, comp- you know, opportunities where like, Hey, will you round up to, so all of those things are great and it should continue to happen, but think about it, uh, almost from like a, a mark, a push marketing standpoint, where instead of just like passively having those opportunities there, especially now that things are e-commerce and everything can be purchased online, you should absolutely be leveraging some type of marketing execution and even using influencers to really promote that opportunity. And so when you do that, it actually will drive a lot of what both sides would want to accomplish. It would obviously accomplish uh, additional reach and additional awareness about the brand and the, and the, uh, the philanthropic or the social impact that they're doing from the reach and awareness that they're driving through some additional paid marketing. It would obviously then drive more sales to, uh, to the brand. And then ultimately when more, there's bigger sales or more sales from that brand, they're now able to, to round up more and donate more. And so it all works sort of all together, but without that little extra push, for, which should be a marketing function, um, it, it doesn't necessarily do the things that I think when you execute these types of partnerships, they, they are rarely ever meet expectations, even though they, they feel good and they sound good at the beginning. Um, they rarely meet expectations, um, but using, using marketing and measuring the impact of that marketing uh, will, will ultimately drive the whole entire um, potential opportunity. So, so one thing that somebody, somebody I, I trust told me at one point that I always have to remind myself is I'm not the target market. I'm never the target market. So when we're thinking about um, like putting together marketing programs or things like a roundup campaign or something like that, I always feel like, you know, I'm never going to do that. And even when I go to the supermarket, right, you go to the supermarket and they're like, would you like to add $3 to feed hungry people this holiday season? And I'm always like, no. And, and it's because like, like I, in my personal opinion, it's like, well, okay, I'm going to add $3 to my thing and I'm going to maybe scribble my name on a heart that they're going to put up behind the cash register. And like, I don't know where that money went and I don't know. And, and I don't have a relate, you know, and, and I'm not personally invested in my supermarket, which is then going to take credit for all that money that they give out to whoever they give it out to in whatever method. And I'm thinking, thinking like if it were, you know, if it's the local food bank, which has a brand, which I recognize, it's like, would you like to add $3 to donate to X is like, who I've got a relationship with that I'm much more likely to say, Oh yeah, sure. Why not? $3 is fine. You know? So having that, like that sort of that local connection or that connection to an organization and not to the corporation, because I don't trust the corporation, but that's, again, that's me. No, no. I, I think that, that more of these types of, I guess, you know, uh, uh, perennial things that everybody does every single year and they and the, the things they do because they've always done it th- all of that stuff will eventually change or augment or or even be sunset because we're just in this tremendous shift kind of getting out of covid 
where uh, everything is accelerated, right? I think that digital adoption for nonprofits is accelerated. Consumer behaviors has, has accelerated. Work behavior has accelerated. Everything, I wouldn't necessarily say has changed because it is, everything has been changing slowly over time. It's just now massively accelerated given that what we just went through for the last two years. And so um, I, I agree. I think if there's ways to figure out how to make things more transparent and enable better connections that are more aligned with the people that you're trying to communicate to and that you're trying to serve, then, then everybody wins and it, and it becomes much more tangible and more personal, which is essentially what you are trying to accomplish as a nonprofit in your, in any of your, uh, you know, capital uh, campaigns is trying to get, you know, you're, pull, you're pulling at the heart streets, you're trying to make those connections uh, and you're trying to build community. And I think you can do all those things, especially using social media. So, so a lot of our, you know, a lot of the nonprofits, and this is one of the things we always talk about nonprofits as if they're these really robust organizations that have lots of staff and have plenty of people that are already working on this problem. The reality is that like 90% of nonprofits have one staff member or zero staff members. So, so are there, are there ways, are there baby steps? Are there ways that we can, that we can sort of tip, dip our toes in the water and start, start down this path without having to have like a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of staff to do it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, uh, it's a common, uh, question that I get a lot and what, what's challenging, especially, for resource restraint organizations, I, I mean, most organizations would say there's somewhat re- resource restraints, but especially the ones that are one or two people. The the thing I always talk about is is you don't have to be everywhere all the time. Um, it's really about you know honing in on on one platform, really building a community and audience on one platform from social from a social media perspective, and really just get good at it. You don't have to be on. TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, like you don't have to be all those places, regardless of if you see other organizations there or, or other um, people there. And people may even tell you, you need to be everywhere at once. It's just not realistic. And so we really, we really encourage at the very beginning or a bare minimum, just to pick one place to build a community in one place, figure out what works and what resonates for that community, identify ways that you can use the platform's features and the functionality to connect with those people, to consistently create conversation around that. And honestly, over time, organically, you just figure out how to, how to make that work for you. And, and through, through, the, through the building of, of your community on that platform, you identify influencers that maybe are slightly bigger than you. And then those influencers lead to other influencers. So a lot of things just organically happen when you focus on one platform, build community in one place, um, and, and, and scale it from there. And, it, and then it becomes less scary and you feel like less uh, you know, you know, bandwidth, uh, drained and more about, okay, I'm going to talk to my people on Instagram at 10 every morning. I'm going to tell them what we're doing. I'm going to tell them what we need. Uh, I'm going to tell them a story or some, whatever the case may be. And then that just becomes part of your routine. It's pretty simple. It's 10, 20 minutes a day or every, every other day or every Tuesday. Um, and then it becomes much more manageable and not so scary. Um, and then you figure out over time, uh, it's a lot about iteration and trial and error. Uh, but just build community in one place and start from there and then and then things can grow. And then obviously, as your organization grows, and as you start to see other opportunities, or maybe there's other places where you want to build community, then you just take that same formula and that same format and doing it on another platform and then you build it up. And so if you look at it like that and really figure out, you know, taking small, small steps and taking small building blocks to build out a community, again, just because of social media, it's probably the same. It was probably the same, you know, when 10, 20, 30 years ago when the nonprofit organization started and it was just, you know, handshakes and, and, and high fives, right? So 
um, you know, I think just apply that same methodology to social media and over time it'll, it'll grow. Yeah. It's kind of like, like brushing your teeth, right? You just, you just plan to do it. <laughs> it's just something you have to do. Yeah, no, 100%. That's and, and really social media is, is the way I look at it. It's an opportunity to communicate, you know, who you are and, and provide real depth on a regular basis to your mission and the people behind the mission and who you're serving and those types of things that, that I don't think you normally would get through a, a newsletter or, um, you know, and, and most people don't get the opportunity to like actually see, um, you know, the power of what your mission is. I say all the time to people that um, on the Make-A-Wish side that if you can grant a wish or if you can be a part of a wish reveal, you absolutely need to do it because you will never understand like the true power of that mission until you're there. But the same thing can be communicated and broadcasted on social media too. So you get a little bit of that feel as well. So it's an opportunity for everybody to really experience and witness the people behind it, the mission itself, and, and the, the people that it, it affects in a positive way. So, so if, you, if you're really just putting your toe in the water and you're just starting out and you're going to sort of pick a single platform, is there, how would you decide what, what platform you're going to start with? Yeah, for sure. So the, the way that I typically think about uh, you know, identifying the, the key platform is really thinking about your audience. So you may have uh, you know, a young uh, um, nonprofit who, uh, you know, started in a college dorm room. And so all they are is they're social and digital first. And so they've, you know, built an audience on social media and, you know, start on, on TikTok to get people who are, you know, 16 to 20 active, right? Uh, it may be uh, an organization, maybe a little bit older, um, that is looking to uh, ident- you know, identify people in their, I guess, you know, millennial age, right? So like mid twenties to, to late thirties, um, you know, that typically, uh, that typical audience, you know, tends to be more involved on platforms like Instagram. Um, and then, you know, for organizations that are looking, that have a community that may be older, um, you know, maybe 45 plus, 50 plus, um, you know, Facebook has been one of the key platforms for an older demographic um, to be real, they really, in, the, that demographic is very engaged. They use a lot of the features on Facebook that well, actually a lot of demographics don't, um, things like Facebook groups and those types of things. So, you know, when, when we think about, you know, targeting which platform, which place to start and plant your flag, it's really about thinking about who your existing community is and where they, where they could be or where, where they would be or where they have been and then start there. So, you know, if you're, um, you know, an organization that is looking to reach an older audience or you have been mostly comprised of, of um, you know, uh, an older demographic or an older generation, then let's try Facebook and find those people on Facebook, build some Facebook groups uh, around that and build a community there. Um, but if you're, um, you know, a high school kid or a young college kid that is, you know, wanting to do good, I mean, TikTok pretty much owns that space. So, you know, start on TikTok and, you know, do uh, you know, TikTok dances and challenges around your mission and, and build community that way. So, yeah, I mean, I think thinking about who either your target audience is or who your existing community is, thinking about who they are and trying to find, you know, where they are is really the key to starting on social media and, and building a community on those platforms. Nick, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wow, that was jam-packed. 
Thanks again to Nick Lynch for talking to us today about social media and influencers and streaming and all kinds of complicated stuff that we know nothing about. So I really appreciate that time you took today. Um, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.